0: Welcome to Heels in the Courtroom, a podcast about successfully navigating law and life, featuring the women trial attorneys at the Simon Law Firm.
1: Hi, everyone. I'm Megan from Heels in the Courtroom. We have a lot of new listeners who may not have had the opportunity to listen to our podcast library, so we thought we'd drop one of our favorite previous episodes in case you missed it. We'll be back with new content next week. Enjoy. Hey everyone, and
2: welcome back to Heels in the Courtroom. This is Erica Slater, and today I am joined by Amy Gunn, Liz Lenovy, and Elizabeth McNulty. Mary's off learning how to pay by numbers or something, so she won't be with us today. For backup, so <laughs> yeah, <care>. yeah. <laughs> um, so, you know, I was thinking about kind of our journey through these episodes, and we had set out when we started recording this podcast to. Create a professional community with a woman's voice. And one, of course, we hope we have achieved that in some form. But I am so encouraged that we're starting to hit that tone when I get feedback from listeners and questions from listeners who are wanting to hear about specific topics. And today, our topic comes from one of our listeners. We got an email from another professional woman, who said, I've had to have a lot of difficult conversations at work lately, whether it's been delivering bad news or asking someone to step it up. How do you approach difficult conversations? So we kind of thought about this topic in kind of two buckets. The conversations that we have to have externally because of our profession, and of course that means having conversations, many difficult conversations with our clients, and also kind of the internal conversations that we have with each other, whether that touches on office politics where we have to have a difficult conversation, or you know we have to deliver bad news or have difficult conversations with our colleagues. So the first thing I thought about is something that we have to do continuously is, in our profession, plaintiff's personal injury, is talk to clients about whether we're taking their case or not. I have to remind myself that I'm a professional. This person is coming to me for legal advice. I always want to embrace my clients and potential clients and counsel them through whatever difficult conversation we have to have. But at the end of the day, I have to have that conversation knowing that I'm giving them very difficult and disappointing news. You know, they came to us asking us to evaluate a case. And after looking at all the information, our decision is that we're not going forward and we can't help them. So just kind of a cheat sheet of how I approach that, just kind of from a practical standpoint, is I really make notes about why I'm making that decision, just kind of some high-level bullet points, like three bullet points. I'm making this decision because of X, Y, and Z. And all the other reasons and things we might touch on in that conversation are things that are common to our practice and common to my conversations in this type of conversation. So I can go back and rely on those things as far as, you know, saying the comforting things like, you know, I know this isn't the answer you were hoping for. That's a very difficult thing to go through. And I understand that I have to have these conversations quite a bit with potential clients and it's never easy Kind of throwing in that counseling part, but then making sure that you kind of stick to your guns, if you will, as far as those three high bullet points go for the reason you're having to have this conversation. This is why I made this decision. My intention in telling you this is to give you legal advice and then always encouraging them to seek a second opinion. I always say, you know, lawyers' opinions are just like doctors. You know, we may look at the same information and have a different opinion, there's a lot of reasons why a certain case may not be appropriate for one firm over another. And hopefully that kind of neutralizes things. Although I can't say that <laughs> that all those I, that I haven't been hung up on, <laughs> I can't say that I haven't had conversations where there's tears on the other end or arguing or that kind of news can really hit someone hard, which I understand. And then I just make it my job to be a punching bag for a couple of minutes. And that's okay. And I can handle that. And I understand it's part of my job. And honestly, I put in my head that I'm a professional and this is actually providing a service to my client because they need to say these things. And it's not my job to convince them otherwise. It's my job to give the legal advice that I set out to give. It's my job to have made that decision and be steadfast in it before I have this conversation and to deliver Bad news, which is a big responsibility. So, Amy, when you have difficult conversations with clients, how do you approach them or what kind of experiences do you draw on to get through those conversations?
1: First, I'm going to tell you how proud I am of you. Just from listening to the way you've explained that process tells me how much you care about your clients, you care about your work here, you care about the work that you do for the firm. Having difficult conversations is only as hard as you allow them to be. We all know people who go into a conversation and say, you don't have a case, it's happened, maybe not a lawsuit, but we can all remember times in our lives where we've been rejected. And it can be a terrible experience. It can be a frustrating experience. It can be an enlightening and uplifting experience. We work hard here making a rejection of a case, not about the client, not about the client's grief, not about the client's anxiety or their injuries, We make it about the case. Remembering that our job as lawyers is to be as much as we can, which is hard, unimpassioned. We represent the client and tell them whether we can be successful for them. I start out the conversation as early as possible to manage expectations. And say, Mrs. Jones, I am so sorry this has happened to you. I am going to do the best I can to answer your questions. I never say, even at the outset, I'm going to, I'm going to do the best I can to make this case happen to, for you. I'm going to do the best I can to win this case for you. I say, I'm going to do the best I can to answer your questions, because it's clear to me that you have not gotten those answers from the medical profession and it and this is in the med mal context which is where i have to have most of these difficult conversations (laughs) if i've done my job correctly from the beginning to the point of having the rejection conversation i get relief from my client i get acknowledgement that i've done what i've told them i would do in fact it happens so often, and I am always anxious about the conversation because I don't want them to think that I'm, they're being victimized again. They had to go through this, and now I've told them, I don't care, just it's not a very good case. That's the wrong way to do it. I have to say, Mrs. Jones, I have reviewed all these records, and i got to tell you, you got good care. Your husband, your child... They got good care. It's a bad outcome, but I've looked at everything, and I cannot see negligence. And if you approach it that way, think about it. They are upset not only because they've lost their loved one or, or had a terrible experience with a doctor or a hospital, but they're upset because they, they think they're injured due to someone else's fault, due to someone else not doing their job. If you say to them, Mrs. Jones, you got good care. I don't see where anybody fell below the standard of care or screwed up or there was no medical error here. That relieves at least one layer of anxiety from them. And multiple times, if I've done it right, at the end of that conversation, they feel better because they can accept the the bad outcome a little bit better. I got an email just this week from a client that I had to reject the case, and I know when I get these kind of emails, I'm on the right track. It said, I and my family truly appreciate the attention you've given to my case. As you have no doubt experienced many times before, the best counsel to a client is to give a realistic and fact-based assessment. You've made me feel like you... We're rooting for me all the way. That makes this a lot easier to accept. And it goes on. But if you approach it in a way that looking for answers and that's what you're providing, even if the answer is you don't have a case, I've done my job. I feel good about it. And more times than not, the appreciation from that number one, to be told some answers, but number two, to lift that layer of feeling like you've been wronged allows them, in my experience, allows them a gift to be able to move forward without that weight of being wronged.
0: If I could pop in with a question for, and this is really open to anyone who might have advice on this, because this happened to me recently where I had to reject a case where someone's child had died. And those are in my opinion, the toughest ones. Brutal. And in this particular case, the family had come to me and had already made up their mind that someone did something wrong. The only reason their child died was because someone had to have done something wrong. And I ordered the records. I reviewed the records. I went through them very Carefully and closely, I reached out to other attorneys in the office to make sure I wasn't missing something, and everyone was in agreement that this is a really unfortunate case, this is really sad, but there isn't negligence here, at least that we can see. And I had the conversation with the family, and I did my level best to explain it in, like you said, Amy, a factual perspective, and I explained to them I know how, well, as I said, I can't possibly know how you feel. I've never, I've never experienced a loss as great as what you have gone through. But I'm doing my best to look at this from a legal perspective as an attorney and give you all legal advice. And this is why we cannot take your case for XYZ, very factual. I walked through the timeline with them, and they just did not accept it. And they fought me every turn every time I got through a sentence, they would pop in with another argument. And I had to do my best to explain, well, that's not how we look at this. And and that's why I understand you've done this research, but it's not going to necessarily hold up in court and approach it that way. And it took a long time to get through that conversation. And it this conversation happened a while ago, but it still bothers me a little bit because typically the conversations go like you said, Amy, where the client says, I really appreciate you looking into this and, and thank you for your work and I'm sorry that you can't take the case, but thank you anyway. And that's not how this conversation ended. And so what do you do if you can do anything for that client that is just not willing to accept your answer What you're describing, Liz, is what I have struggled with the most
2: in these difficult conversations with clients. And the best thing that I've found to get through those conversations is that pre-planning, if you will, and remembering what your goal of the conversation is. Your goal is to communicate the firm's legal advice and business decision to not go forward with the case. It is based on our professional evaluation, but I have, once I abandoned feeling the need to convince that client to agree with me or kind of talk them into what my perspective on the case was, once I abandoned that, those conversations went so much better. Because as you can imagine, someone in that position doesn't need to be told that they're wrong. And I'll just flat out say that like, hey, my goal in this conversation is not to convince you that we are right. In fact, you don't even have to agree with me. But you did come to me, you know, with these questions that I am giving you my professional advice. And that's usually when it's appropriate to remind them that other lawyers have different opinions, even if that's not a great outcome for them, you know, just saying, talk to someone else. But there's a way to deliver that message too, to say, I hear you. And if I were you, I really encourage you to talk to someone else and then kind of explain that, you know, there's so many reasons why a certain case might not be good for one firm over the other. And it usually kind of gets them past that. But I agree with you. Those conversations get even more difficult when someone is arguing back with you. So I kind of put my hands up real fast and try not to get into an argument.
0: And I certainly have that same conversation where I tell clients that I've rejected their case, that my decision is certainly not the end all be all. I encourage everyone to get a a second opinion. It's just this particular case. I don't know. It just it really still kind of gets me a little bit. I don't know why.
1: Maybe it is because it's a deceased child, but. Grief is extreme in a lot of cases. And I, I understand that. And I hear that a lot of times it wouldn't matter what you were saying or how you were saying it. Don't internalize that too much because the grief they're experiencing is not going to be anything that you can fix really, whether you take the case or not. I have had those situations, and Erica, I agree, you can't fight with them. You can't get defensive because they're looking for a fight. They're looking for answers. They're angry. It's all grief. I have had occasion to say to that client, I just, I'm really sorry. I'm so worried about you and what you've been through. I don't think that you're ever going to get over this. I can't imagine how you could. A lawsuit and going through two or three years of litigation and being held to task in a deposition and being blamed in even a minor way for this death or being made to feel like your loss is not that great, all those things that you're going to experience if this case were to go forward, will not make you feel better. It will make you feel worse. This is something I want you to consider talking with a professional about, whether that's somebody in your church or a professional. I have oftentimes recommended some kind of grief counseling. Again, not always well-received, but I feel like that's part of the attorney and counselor, and I feel very strongly about living up to. I will sometimes throw the law under the bus and our legislature under the bus, the state of the law, the caps, the extreme hoops that we have to jump through sometimes with medical malpractice. I'll throw experts under the bus. I talked to Dr. So-and-so. He said this was not below the standard of care or there's no link between the alleged medical error and the injury or the death. And we got to put it in a box, because if we look at these cases that we investigate, and what about investigate a horrible situation like losing a child and then not being able to help? I mean, our job is to fix people's problems, and we can't do that all the time. We can't do that a lot of the time for all the various reasons, the law, the economics, whatever, and we can't let that get us Too far down because it's a hole that's hard to get out of. This should be a tough topic because
2: if we didn't care and we didn't take our job seriously and we didn't approach each case thinking about the people that are behind it and not just the law that we have to apply and the money that might be made and things like that. If we could just go on about our days and not think about it again, or it never keep us up at night or not, you know, kind of stick in your craw, then we wouldn't be very good at our jobs, quite frankly. Amy, how do you feel about the timing of having to have those
1: conversations with clients? Sometimes I will choose to write a letter explaining what I've done, what I've reviewed, my analysis, my conclusion. I do that for two reasons. It's easier than a conversation. And it really does put everything onto a piece of paper. So I like to write it down so they can refer back to it. And then I always say, please call me to discuss further. And sometimes I do and sometimes they don't. But it's important to document your thought process for the file. The timing is, I'll tell a story, and it's kind of an embarrassing story, that I. but this was a number of years ago, where it was getting close to the end of the year. I had a number of open files where I was investigating by gathering medical records, reviewing them, analyzing them, perhaps sending them out to an expert to determine whether we could go forward with the case. And I was feeling very good about getting a few things off my desk, including rejecting a couple of cases. And again, I usually draft a one- to two-page letter explaining everything that I've learned and why it's not going to be able to go forward. It's a nice letter. I mail it. I feel good. Getting back from holidays, I get a correspondence from one of the clients that I—it's probably a voicemail—one of the clients whose case I had rejected, and it was very much about thanks for ruining my Christmas. And I thought, no. That is a perspective I didn't consider. All I thought about was checking that box. And I really want to tell people how important that is to think about the milestones, whether it's a holiday such as Christmas or an anniversary of a death, if you reject a case and they Read the reject letter on the date that their loved one dies, you know, or even within the close proximity to that. Just be aware of those dates and how it can affect the person that you're writing to. It's just an added layer of care that I want to be known for. So I learned from that, and I hope that somebody listening to this won't make that same
0: mistake. Something I've done even now, I don't particularly like rejecting cases on Fridays because I don't want to ruin their weekend. So if I can push a conversation off till Monday morning, I'll try to do that. Agreed. Well, we need to pick our listeners
2: up because this is not all (laughs) difficult conversations. You know, They don't all have to be bad, but does anyone have a good story about a difficult conversation? Elizabeth,
3: help us out here. Funny that you should ask Erica. So I had what I thought was going to definitely be a difficult conversation. It was a med mal. It was with a client who I had I think I was in, it was one of my first like new client meetings as an attorney. So I had a face to a name and, you know, we developed somewhat of a relationship and with MedMal, we get the record. So it's, it's a prolonged experience if you're going to end up rejecting it, which I think makes it more difficult. It sometimes feels like you're breaking up with them and it just, it's really uncomfortable and it it's hard, especially I think for someone who's a more inexperienced lawyer because it's not something I have much experience with. So I went through the records diligently. We called an expert. The client was already blind in one eye and she lost vision in her other. And it was this doctor's whole responsibility to make sure she didn't lose vision in the one eye that she had vision left in. And I went through the records. We had a theory, but we weren't sure how strong it was. So we sent it to an expert and if anyone was going to go along with our theory. It was going to be this expert. And he, he couldn't find any support for it, unfortunately. So I called the client, I gave her my whole spiel. And she goes, oh, well, I thought you guys knew. And I was like, knew what? She's like, oh, I got my vision back. I thought that's why you guys hadn't called. And I was just like, floored. And I was like, well, that's wonderful. So you don't need us anyway. It was just- I was uh, very happy to hear that and I was just shocked that she thought we just like would know that without her ever telling us and just like left her case on the floor. It was great ending, but you know, she would have saved us a little time if she had told us, but.
1: You have just earned the opportunity to reject all of my cases from because you've got a special touch yeah apparently so yeah, yeah you need to hold on to
2: that one <laughs> it's that may be a once that in is a decade literally, <laughs> it's literally a miracle on both
3: both fronts i couldn't believe it i couldn't believe it it's great oh,
2: that is funny So the flip side of kind of answering this question from our listener is not just having external conversations, especially for us professionally, but kind of the hard conversations that you have to have internally, whether it be with a colleague or a superior or maybe someone that you manage. Amy, what's your best advice for how to approach a tough conversation with a colleague or what have your experiences been?
1: I try to get as much information as I can. If I'm tasked with going to someone and talk about their job performance. And this has happened from time to time over the years. I try to do everything I can to understand what the performance lacking is. Is it they're not showing up? Is they're not paying attention? They're making mistakes? What is it? And I like to go to the person and say, hey, you know, I doubt this is a surprise to you, but I think we're a little concerned with what's going on. It's never a surprise, okay? Even if they ask surprise, it's not a surprise. And I say, what's going on? Is everything okay? Are you happy here? Are there things going on outside of work that I can help you with? Let me identify what our concerns are. And let's work out whether that's something that we can solve together. Really. That's initial stages of stuff. And oh, I'm always surprised with how, Open people are, yes, I realize this. Most people are very earnest about wanting to do a good job. And I let that be the start of the conversation. Not assuming they're just a terrible person doing a terrible job, but assuming they are maybe struggling because something else is going on. And I've had these conversations where I've gone in and I've said, I know that you've struggled over the last few months. I just get a sense you're no longer happy here. I Get a sense that you're really struggling. Have you thought about what else you want to do? And I don't say you're fired because I don't fire people. I just sometimes am asked to check in to see if there's something I can do to help or the firm can do to help. I say, are you happy? I'm always surprised when people say no and here's why. And I don't mean in your life. I mean in your job. And that's usually how I phrase it. And then I say, what can we do to get you someplace that you actually want to be? In my heart of hearts, I know there's a solution. Either we can fix it for you here or you can be happier somewhere else. And I never go into the conversation thinking, I'm ruining this person's life. Maybe I'm the one that has to say you're not happy here and they're just realizing it. It's a difficult conversation to have. It's a difficult conversation. It's difficult to talk about difficult conversations. (laughs) I've been pleasantly surprised when I approach a situation with an employee who's, from my perspective, not very happy with their job. And I say things like, what's going on? Or I've noticed you just don't seem very happy. The conversation that turns from that always good and as usually says you know I'm not I just don't know what to do and then I kind of put on a hat like well let me help you with that whether it's here or somewhere else and I ask questions what do you want to do if you're so many years out in your chosen profession where did you see yourself at this point point? and really ask them you know start thinking about what it is that you would like to do I do this with law clerks, too, or with people looking for a law job. Where do you see yourself? And I think turning it that way and making it look like a pretty good prospect, then it really does turn out to be a a decent conversation and not that hard. And then almost always that person will come to realize this isn't the place for them and they can be happier somewhere else. And then they leave and they are. When I
2: think about the hard conversations I've had with colleagues, whether it's at our firm or my old firm, it's usually been like we have an issue that we need to, you know, bring out into the light or I need to ask someone I'm working for about, you know, whether I'm doing a good job. And I usually if I have to have that conversation, I usually am of the mindset of, is there something you want to tell me? (laughs) And those conversations have always been so difficult for me to prepare for. And I think over the years, I've identified that it's because I'm so insecure about what the other side of that conversation is. You know, if I have a conflict with a colleague, which doesn't happen often, but when it does, especially if you like where you work, you don't want it to fester, you know, so you might need to bring that out into the open or sit down and even say like, hey, I heard you may have mentioned this hurt my feelings or whatever, can we talk about that? Or whatever conflict it is. And I've always approached those when I was younger with being so insecure about this is about me and what you think of me or being scared of getting poor feedback and feeling, you know, beating myself up about that in general. When I stopped being so internal with how I approach those conversations and thinking more about there's nothing that anyone can say to not hurt you, but your day is going to go on and you're still going to be good at your job and you have the self-confidence. And even if you're talking about a failure or talking about a conflict, learning from that and having the conversation and kind of ripping the bandaid of that conversation is going to be so much more of a positive thing on the other end. So I've found that I have to put a lot of energy into getting out of my own head and remembering that, you know, if it's conflict with a colleague, they have their own stuff going on. It's not about me, probably. It's probably about something else that's going on. Elizabeth, you're nodding your head. Maybe you've been there. You know,
3: it's, it's not about you. I think it's not about me. I should get it tattooed on my arm or something. I just I think it's <laughs> good idea. Yeah. I think that as attorneys, I think sometimes we have really shitty days and it's a lot of people just project that onto others, which I think is totally normal. But working around people like that, you just have to realize that like it's not about you. Whatever it like it just happens and I think that you can have conversations about it for me and just kind of decide that it's not about me and I move on and it, that works for me. And But if you're going to just let it go, then you have to truly let it go and not bring it up. But I think that having a conversation about it works just as well. I just I think that realizing that things aren't about you is really important and will get you a lot farther because we can't take every little thing personally or just I'm going to be dealing with that shit. All day
2: long. That's helpful, I think, when you're making the decision, especially as a professional, what conversations to have. And Elizabeth, you made such a good point that if you are deciding not to have a conversation about something that's bothering you and you wrap your head around it, that you're not going to let it bother you or you're moving on without needing to confront it. It is so important to actually make sure that is. What you do, because you can't like punish someone later if you don't have that conversation. Exactly. I'm sure this is all bleeding into personal life. <laughs> oh, I was gonna say <laughs> that
1: is so funny because I have the deal with my husband. I say, oh, I love this deal. I mean, this is real, and this has been from the very beginning. And if we've got something we're mad at each other about, you gotta tell me. You gotta tell me right now. We gotta talk about. It, we gotta figure it out because if you choose not to tell me, that's a waiver. If That's not the <laughs> yeah. biggest lawyer talk you've ever heard, but it's a waiver and you don't get two weeks later to get irritated about something that's really minor and lose your mind because it's really about something that happened two weeks ago. That's just not fair. It's just not fair. Now I'm not saying it doesn't happen, but I get to say that's not fair. We talk about this. This is a 25 year old agreement about waiving your rights to be mad and sometimes that goes okay most time it doesn't but <laughs> yeah. i agree and i think that's good advice for life if you've got something you're upset about let's talk about it you got to pair that with the respond don't react cuz if you're mad about something and you react then you're going to regret it so you can be mad about something think about it and respond within a short period of time it's all these little things we have to figure out and unfortunately,
2: your work colleagues and your boss are not like your spouse. You can't behave badly and they're always gonna love you. So know, you, have you have to be slightly more strategic, which is <laughs> which is why you have to put so much brain power into these conversations so true. sometimes. Liz, how do you approach internal conversations with colleagues? Or or your superior?
0: The way I approach conversations with people who I consider at the same professional level as me or people that I am in charge of managing, is really similar to what's already been discussed. If it's a conversation, though, that I am having with uh, a superior, so uh, an attorney who I am directly working for, whether it's Amy, or sometimes I have cases that John has assigned to me, if it's a difficult conversation, typically it means that something has gone wrong in the case. Sometimes that means that I was the reason it has gone wrong, something that I have made an error on. And I think the best way to have those conversations is to do them as quickly as possible. Don't sit on it. Don't let a week go by once you've discovered an error. Make sure you address it as soon as you can. And just own up to your mistakes. I I think that that is the best way to handle an error or a mistake that you've made is just fall on the sword explain that this is something that you're going to learn from. I think the worst way to approach it is just making excuses. Because now, not only are they probably upset that the mistake's been made, now they're doubly upset because you're not willing to accept (laughs) that you have made that mistake. And I think that it also tells them that it's not something you're willing to learn from because you can't admit that you've done wrong. At least that's how I try to approach those conversations. Amy, how am I doing? You want to give me any feedback? are <laughs> <laughs> doing
1: great. You're doing great. I love the owning part of it. And I agree. I, I think I call it going to the confessional. If I have anything I need to confess, <laughs> then I try to do it. This is my trick. If I've got some bad news to give to someone, I try to also have some good news know, just kind of sprinkle it about like, uh, you know, this got screwed up, but I settled this case. Hey, it's a wash. (laughs) And I think just the confession oftentimes is enough to make you feel better. But more importantly, the learning from it, if you just confess and you're absolved and nothing ever happens. And I don't know. I don't know how much you learn from it. I do think there has to be ownership. I'm coming to you with a problem. I have already fixed it. Am I forgiven? Yes. Check. Of course you are. Yes. That's good. Great job. Good job.
2: That turns into a, that's a
1: great way to have
2: handled that. You're doing great.
1: Acknowledge, fix, confess in that order.
2: (laughs) (laughs) Well, as I think we've all learned, even having conversations about difficult conversations can sometimes be difficult. (laughs) So thanks for joining us through this. I hope you learn some skills or maybe a way to approach something. Thank you so much to the listener for the question. It was really good to hear from you and hear what types of topics you want to learn about because, you know, you could probably pitch us anything and we got something to say. Got something to say. Got something to say. So thank you so much for joining us on this episode of Heels in the Courtroom. Obviously, you may have noticed the big things that we're missing from this episode is how to sit down and ask for a raise or a promotion. That's its own topic. So sit tight. That will be season, I don't know, three, four, five. We'll get to it. (laughs) I promise. (laughs) Thanks for joining us. Tune in on Wednesdays when our episodes drop and we will see you next time.
1: Thanks for listening. We'll be back next week with a new episode of Heels in the Courtroom.
0: Amy, Liz, Erica, Mary, Elizabeth, and Megan would love to hear from you. Send your thoughts to comments at heelsinthecourtroom.law and subscribe today.